time to get some experts on board then. And for our market discussion today, I'm joined by Mark Michelson, Chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia. And I've also got Barry Wood, RTHK's International Economics Correspondent. Uh, gentlemen, good morning and a very happy new year to both of you. Good morning and happy new year. Indeed. Good morning, Megan. Good morning, Mark. Lovely to have you both with us this morning. Well, as we kick it off, I want to, you know, the start to 2024 has been anything but happy for the most uh, of the major Asian stock markets, especially here in China and Hong Kong. Um, traders on the mainland have digested yet another contraction in the official monthly manufacturing data. Uh, you know, we saw uh, Shanghai Composite losing about 4% in 2023. And Mark, Traders that were betting on consumer and you know green energy stocks in China to bolster stock performance uh, seem to be finding it a bit tough. What's your sense for 2024 for the Chinese Hong Kong markets? Well, let me. Uh, I'll I'll start. It's first of all a little unpredictable, of mm -hmm. course. But you saw the upbeat report by Citibank, especially on Hong Kong. But the uh, but also saying that depended on how much confidence there was in China's economy and how well China's economy did. And of course, the latest numbers are not exactly encouraging. That's the question, right? How much stimulus? Is the Chinese government going to put in the economy? How effective is that going to be? Is consumer confidence really going to return to a to a to a significant sense? And you know, manufacturing activity a little disappointing. Uh, three straight months of contraction, uh, and maybe it will suddenly turn around. But a lot of that has to do with demand, not just China, but out, outside of China as well. So. I think you can be cautiously optimistic. China still, I think, will do better than a lot of other economies in 2024, but it may not be a great year for, for many economies around the world. Yeah, I mean, uh, the world seems to be in a bit of a slowdown mode. Um, you know, Barry, Hong Kong has had a really tough time as well. You know, we saw the Hang Seng Index seeing an unprecedented fourth annual decline in the year gone by. Investors have lost money in double digits. Um, you know, um, we spoke about the Citibank report earlier, but given how dependent and correlated we are with the Chinese economy, what's your outlook on Hong Kong's economic fate? Well, <laughs> I wish I could say that it was positive. I'm not sure it is. Look, uh, as all listeners know, Hong Kong is in a transition in terms of its financial market. Yes, it remains an international financial center, but it's becoming much more China-oriented than it was in the past. And that has um, been reflected in the fact that slower growth in China meant slower equities performance in Hong Kong as well as on the mainland. Is that going to continue? I suppose it's due for a turnaround, but I don't see any of the data, as Mark was just saying, that would suggest that it's imminent. Yeah, the data dichotomy is also, you know, I think throwing off many people. You have the official PMI numbers on one hand, and then you have, the, you know, the private survey by Chai Shin on the other hand saying, oh, no, things weren't as bad as, you know, we were all building in. And uh, just yesterday, I think some more numbers were released. I believe uh, in December, China Central Bank injected about $50 million worth of low-cost funds into policy-oriented bank. Uh, with the manufacturing, you know, being what it is at this point in time, uh, Mark, as well as pressures from the real estate end, would you be building in more aggressive policy support in the coming 
few weeks or months from China? Well, I think they're going to have to to some mm. extent. What exactly that is, is, is you know, they, they have a, a lot of levers they can pull. It may not all be effective, but a lot of it still has to do with confidence. I've talked about this before. There's still long COVID, and I don't mm. mean the don't mean people are sick, although I guess a few are, but the economy is because people still remember. Yep. And, then, and they're still still a little reluctant sometimes to spend, to invest in areas. And of course, the property market, which is so key to the Chinese economy, to Hong Kong economy, uh, to a lot of economies around the world is very important. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm confident in a way that that this is going to begin to turn around yeah. at some point, but how quickly and how big an impact that will have, I, I mean, I think we'll see in the next the next few months. And that's apart from what's all going on around the world with the with the two wars and the other disruptions. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, Barry, what's your sense here then? Well, I, I would underscore what Mark has just mm -hmm. said and emphasize the point that it's only been 12 months that the Chinese economy has been reopened. That's not a particularly long period of time. And I think Mark wisely points out that the housing sector is so dominant and there are so many problems in that, that it's hardly surprising that there's not a lot of consumer confidence at the moment within China. But Chinese people are traveling, the, the, uh, the, the economy is opening up. I think that there's certainly room for improvement. But I do notice, Mega, that some of the experts who I have trusted in the past are saying, well, if they grew 5% in 2023, that's probably going to slow down to 4 or 4.5 in 2024. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think, been a part of the problem. The asset managers who were betting on big returns after, you know, the COVID restrictions loosening up did not see the returns that they were kind of building in. Uh, and from an investor point of view, you know, you're always chasing the alpha. You're always looking for a chance to uh, make that incremental over the average returns. Uh, Barry, do you think emerging markets could potentially be an area that, um, you know, investors and institutional investors could be veering towards? Is that where the alpha lies? Yes, I do think that's possible. I think um, Mexico is one place to look. And I think that the smaller economies around China are likely to outperform. We should have said that Japan did very well in 2023, and that's probably going to continue. The United States remains a lot stronger than Europe, and Europe has got a problem. But uh, growth is slowing. I mean, isn't that the point? When interest rates rise, it's intended to slow economic growth. The trick is, slow economic growth, but not enough to push the economy into negative territory or recession. So far, the Federal Reserve has done that very effectively. I think that uh, we do have to see stronger growth in China and India before we will see emerging markets globally really begin to recover. You know, the African continent is filled with all kinds of debt problems once again, and you've got Latin America not doing as well as it should. So, you know, it is it is not an encouraging way to start 2024. No, not at all. Uh, I mean, and that gets me to my next question. Uh, India has had a fantastic year. Japan, like you pointed out, was a dark horse. I don't think anyone was expecting the sort of returns that we've seen on the Nikkei for 2023. But let's talk a bit more, Mark, about the developing markets, the emerging markets. India. Um, is you know going great guns we've had fantastic returns on the stock markets we've got 
uh, you know, we've got a government in place that is very uh, clear about, you know, what they want to see the, gov uh, the country uh, doing in terms of infrastructure investment, in terms of people investment. What's your sense on, uh, you know, some of the smaller economies around China, uh, Indonesia, Thailand, India, large growing populations eager to move up the value chain? Would these be something that would present as an in exciting investment opportunity? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm talking about not only financial investment, which is your area of expertise, but, but also foreign direct investment. Yeah. And, you know, the famous China plus one. China is still really important to the companies that, that we deal with every day. We, we talk about it. But at the same time, they're looking at places like India, like Vietnam, like Indonesia, mm -hmm. uh, like Malaysia to some extent, as areas where they can develop and also getting government support. The overlay, of course, is a very political year. It's an election year throughout the world. There's a small one in the United States in November, which some people know about. <laughs> but <laughs> you bet. but beginning with Taiwan, of course, yep. Indonesia as well, India. India a, yeah. And we, we think we know what's going to happen in India, you know, it's, which will be a continuation of policy. I don't want to make any rash predictions. But, you know, but that's the good other, for the markets. Markets yeah, are happy with continuation it, of policy. It, unless, yeah, absolutely, you know, spe especially pro. Yeah. But, you know, at the same time, Frankly speaking, what a lot of our, our members look at, the rest of Asia, for example, is not China. Yeah. In the sense that they, China is very dependable in terms of manufacturing, in terms of the, the quality, in terms of the rea reliability, and it's mixed elsewhere. And, and many, many countries, including India, has to develop its manufacturing. And it's better in some places than others. There are a lot of states in India, and you know it, it varies considerably. So it can't make up for China either. So even if Apple invests partly in, in India, mm. most of the investment is still going to be in China, you know, for example. So, yes, it will move in that direction. I think that will help boost those economies, the emerging markets in particular. But at the same time, there, there are some restraints. Right. Uh, you know, I want to talk about the other big factor as well at this point in time, and that's uh, geopolitics and all that we're seeing in the Middle East region. We've already had, you know, sort of uh, an immediate reaction come through on the oil prices uh, when the Iranian warship entered the water. But oil really has a cascading effect, doesn't it, into just about every sector of each economy, you know, it's not it's not region specific, it's not industry specific. We are going to see this domino effect possibly built through. Barry, you know, how does one deal with it uh, from an investment point of view? Well, I think you look first of all at the oil production worldwide. The amazing thing is, given what you've just said, Mega, about the potential problems in terms of transporting oil through the Straits of Hormuz and the whole area of the Middle East where there's conflict is that United States production is at record high and despite the Russian move into Ukraine two years ago, Russian crude is not depressed. There's, in short, too much oil on the market. You have had in 2023 the oil price actually decline, the first decline since 2020 and that was because of COVID. So I, I don't worry about oil. I mean, if oil is looking at $77 a barrel on Brent, that is very low given where we could be. So mm -hmm. where do investors go for oil? I, you know, you, you would look at the markets that are producing, that are oil exporting nations. Right. And Mark, what's your sense? Uh, do you see this dramatic escalation of oil politics play into economic growth uh, for the world in 2024? Well, it can't. It's perception as mm -hmm. well. And, that, and that's the issue. And obviously, if there was a, 
there was a big change in the Middle East war at the moment that's going on if it became became more restrictive and, and restricted more markets and, and shipping and so on, that would be a problem. But I agree with Barry in the sense that we're in better shape than many of us maybe thought we would have been. And a lot of that is because of U.S. production and because others stepping up and demand being uh, being maybe not as strong as we thought it might be. Either. And Mark, if I could just add to, yeah. to what you're saying about oil, look at natural gas, you know, which is produced uh, simultaneously with oil. Two years ago, when the Russians moved into Ukraine and the pipeline that carried uh, gas from Russia into Germany uh, was blown up, uh, you know, the gas price soared. Look what happened to the gas price in 2023. It is down 44 percent. Right. The gas price, natural gas, is at its lowest level since 2001. Isn't that amazing? It is. And on that note, I would have to leave, uh, uh, take leave of you, gentlemen. Thank you so much, Mark and Barry, for joining us this morning. It was lovely having you with us.